Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of The Essential 11, brought to you by Acton Academy and Acton Academy Placer. Uh, possibly my favorite episode to date. This, uh, if not, definitely one of my favorites. It's one I've been looking forward to for a long time. We have Jeff and Laura Sandifer. Uh, get to chat with them today about all things acting, what we're doing, their take on the questions, and uh, it's just always a pleasure to get to connect with two people that are two of my personal heroes uh, and are definitely a big part of uh, my life and just what we've been doing in general, and, and you're going to hear that I'm actually thankful for Jimmy Buffett as well, and I didn't know that until this episode, so I'm sure you're going to enjoy. One, and we have Jeff and Laura Sandifer. Good to see you guys. Great to see you, Matt. This is so great. So there's the there's the old adage of you know you don't want to meet your heroes and all this kind of stuff, right? I, I fully believe if that's the case, you've got the wrong heroes. I mean, I just think that's I think that's the way it is. And I have very few people that I consider my personal heroes that I was, but you are definitely two of those people. So it is an honor to have you and to be able to chat. Thank you. Absolutely. Appreciate you taking the time. So, um, you know, it's kind of giving you the context offline. So we normally kind of use these 11 questions to dive in and uh, just kind of get you take, it'd be fun to have, it's fun to have two people and, and see if I can set you up to, to maybe battle back and forth on some of these. I don't know. We'll kind of see, we'll see how it goes. Um, but before we do that, we always start with kind of the, the origin story, usually the individual, right? Kind of the, the X-Men origin story, but for, for you guys, anybody listening knows what acting is. We know kind of the story, but, and I know you've told this a million times, but would you be willing to just share a quick overview of just kind of how acting came to be in the first place? Would you mind sharing that? I appreciate that. All right. You want me to do it? Yeah, go for it. Yeah. it. So um, it was when Charlie and Sam, our two young boys were coming out of Montessori school, out of preschool, and it was time to consider putting them in a traditional school. Our daughter, who was older, was going to school at the you know, very best um, private school in town. And so I went to see the person considered the best teacher at that school. And I said, hey, when should we put the boys? When should we move them over here? And uh, he looked at me and immediately said, well, as soon as possible. I said, okay, why? And he said, well, because once they've had that kind of freedom, they're not going to like being chained to a desk and talked at for eight hours a day. Mm-hmm. And really, I just snapped back before I even thought about it. And I said, well, I don't blame them. And he stood there for the longest time and he looked down and he got quiet and I thought I had offended him. I really didn't understand what was going on. And then he looked up and he shook his head and he said very quietly, I don't either. And so that's the day I came home and told Laura, I said, I, you know, I couldn't imagine our two beautiful boys chained to a desk, having someone talk at them all day. I said, so honey, we, you know, we, we're either going to homeschool or start a school or but whatever we're going to do, the best teacher in the best school in this town just told me, don't send your boys here. We can't do that to them. And from that came Acton Academy. Uh, the the story, and I've heard I've heard the story. I've read the story. I've had you tell me the story, right? And there's not a single time that I listen to it, read it, whatever, where I don't get chills from that. And and a big part of that, it just mirrors my own my own experiences and my own you know my own journeys. And and um, well, and it, you know, it was the first of of many. Um, lucky breaks. I mean, you know, in other words, whether you didn't believe it's luck or it's synchronicity or yeah. it's because we, we start off with a blank sheet of paper and just tried experiments. Right. But if you stick with it long enough and you try enough experiments and you keep the ones that work over the long time, you build something. But that was kind of the first accident that happened to us that turned into something wonderful. Well, and a little bit of backstory to that. We had, we had 
been playing around with projects at home with our three kids, like in a wild and crazy way. I was lucky enough not to be working at the time. Mm -hmm. And we decided it'd be fun to just let them explore the world and do fun things. And the Children's Business Fair sprouted before we had the idea of an Acton Academy. And right. the kids just took that idea, like, let's, let's make something and sell it, put tables up in our yard and see what happens, invite some friends. That idea really, I think, set us up for the synchronicity that Jeff is talking about, where we right. saw kids doing big things, carrying big responsibilities without a, a bunch of adult intervention. And it sparked this idea that, wow, what they're doing at school is, is very um, much less than what they're doing outside of school in terms right. of engagement and hands-on responsibility. So that was kind of churning in our hearts before Jeff came home that day and said, yeah. we're not doing school. Well, yeah. I think what we're seeing around the country now and even around the world are parents realizing in many ways the emperor has no clothes. The young people really can learn everything they need to learn in a yeah. few hours a day, but they're probably not even doing that if they're chained to a desk. It's, and so now we're seeing what can happen. And it's not automatic. It's, there's no panacea. It's not utopia. Human beings yeah. are complicated. But it is amazing what young people can do when they set their minds to it. Yeah. Yes. And the emperor wears no clothes is the exact terminology I've been using with, with so many people that I've been speaking with. And it's become vastly obvious. You know, one of the things that was interesting, and I know you experienced much of the same as did, you know, we had a, a forum of, of owners that got together just to talk through this when all of this started happening. Um, the transition was seamless for our young heroes. I mean, I was still fumbling around trying to Google Zoom and they'd already been on Zoom for three <laughs> they'd days. They'd already been never, on it. Never missed a beat. I mean, it was like automatic, just never missed a beat. The first day, I remember I still came in, you know, we the, the, the heroes were at home. I still came into the office to get some things done here on campus. And uh, that first day alone, I got probably five or six of what would amount to be conservatively 50 teachers, administrators, superintendents from around the country that I've worked with in various capacities who reached out and said, what do we do now? Right. Yeah. And I had just come from some of these meetings and was trying to help. I, I want to still help them and I'm trying to help them as much as I can, but I'm saying not only systemically are you in trouble, but you're not teaching your heroes to self-direct. And yeah. that's the foundation of why this is not going to work in the first place. Right. I go right. from that to going home and my nine-year-old, as I walk in, she, you know, she's got her headphones on, she's on her Zoom call, she's got other you know, heroes from her studio that are all around eight and nine and they're sitting there, she's going, no, 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 no. Okay, let's go back to it. Sunk costs and variable costs. This is what, it, right, there's no guides on this, on this Zoom call, they're in their private room and they're doing all this and I took a video and I sent it to all those superintendents that I was talking to and said, this is what I'm talking about. You know, and one of them just wrote back and said, yeah, we've been screwing ourselves for years. It's literally what he wrote. Yeah. Wow. Well, and it's so, I know it's at least been frustrating for me that people will call and say, well, can you just give us your platform and your yep. challenges? Cause we know how well it's working. Yeah. And like you, I'll go through this whole story. Well, no, it's really that they're on a hero's journey and it's the young people and the society they formed and it's the culture and they'll listen to all that. And they say, okay, I've got all that. We just want the platform and the challenges. And right. you think, I'm trying to give you the piece that matters, which is that you believe every child who enters your doors is a hero and a genius who's going to change the world. And that's the magic. And then they immediately go past that and want to go to something called curriculum right. and teachers and Zoom. 
And I just, I, you know, it, 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 that's it's exactly. depressing because you're trying to show the secret and they just, the mindset's not there to see it because it's they haven't us. seen it for real. They haven't that's, seen what we've seen. That's well, exactly and the, crazy, the crazy view of learning that we see is there is no adult at the center or at the head of it. Right. I had a mom, I actually finally get, got to go get a haircut the other day and yeah. the person who cuts my hair has a fifth grade girl and she said, what, who's in a traditional school and she's just worried, you know, she's going to be in sixth grade next year. Is she even going to be at grade level? The teachers don't know what's going on. They're not, they decided not to do the test so we don't know where they are with their grade level work and she said it, but what I'm seeing is these teachers are being left behind because the kids know how to do the work right and what's nice about the act and mindset is that's a celebration when the teachers are left behind yeah. and the kids run for it that's we're working ourselves out of a job which is the which is a great way to be there's no ego for us involved and so that's the switch in mindsets that i think is really hard yeah. to undo when you've been entrenched in that for so long very much so yeah i talked to another friend of mine who's a who's a teacher and he's wonderful he's he's a, a wonderful human being and he he said, look, at our school, we're, the teachers are jockeying right now for position. They're jockeying to show that they provide value somehow because they're not sure what this is going to look like as they come back. So they're, they're trying to show their value, their worth by saying, look, I've got all these ideas of how I can control this, how I can change this, how I can do this. And that's what they're hoping is going to get them to be there next year, right? Well, we literally start out our open houses. We had you know, we're, we had probably 30 families show up to our open house this last session. And I always open it up and say, look, um, you know, I, I'm, my job right now is, and I use the same words. I said, look, we're not a panacea. It's not a utopia. And my job right now is to get rid of as many of you as I can right now. I hope you take that book and go read it. I hope you love it. I hope everything is, you know, and we can be friends, grab the coffee. Thank you for showing up. I want to try to get rid of you as quickly as I can. And one of the best ways I found that I can do that is to let you know that our ideal day is that not a single adult shows up to this campus and the kids do not even realize it and nothing changes. So let's, true. Start, let's start there. And if so that excites you, then you should stay here and listen more. We can, we can continue this date. If that scares you, this, then, then listen cautiously because you may need to get up and go and that's okay. We'll still be friends. You know, that's how we start every, that's how we start every session. That's perfect. Uh, you know, <laughs> that's how we start every open house. Um, so yeah, it, it's, it's been amazing to watch all this stuff play out. So we came to this, I came to this realization and again, I'm so thankful and just part of my own, you know, part of my own journey too. And I had the same, you know, same kind of experience being in these traditional schools, being what, you know, I always called creatively insubordinate, um, knowing what was working with the heroes that I was working with, which was drastically different than what I was being told I needed to do, you know, finally coming to a point where I literally begged the other, I was an administrator work, but still working, still needing to work with these heroes, wanting to work with them. And I asked the other administrators, please give me six weeks to do something with these young heroes and don't, don't talk to me about it. Just give me six weeks to do something. And literally all I did was set up an environment for them to direct their own project, right? In this traditional environment, what ended up coming out of that unanimously, the heroes, unanimously, the parents in this middle school environment said best thing that they had ever done. Best thing that best educational experience they've had. One of the best experiences they've ever had. What did you do? And I said, look, what I did was nothing. What I did was equip them. What I did was tell them they could create whatever it is they wanted to create, right? The administrators came back to me and said, okay, yes, it worked out really well. But my gosh, we need to create a rubric around that. We need to create more, you know, grade level. We need to relate it to the standards we need. And that's when I said, 
awesome, go for it. But I've got to, I've got to leave, you know, and I'd already been researching and I had, I had reached out to Jeff at that point too, and was getting stuff ready for, a, um, you know, an old Ted talk. And, you know, that's what kind of started the journey. And it was the same thing, spent time in, in Texas, spent time, you know, in the, in the middle school, uh, with those heroes and, and, uh, came home and said, baby, we're, we're moving to Austin, Texas, or we're doing this right here in this area. And she's like, I don't want to go to Texas. So here we go. <laughs> I love that. What yeah. I also love about your story is yes, you created that environment and equipped them, but actually what you had to begin with was a belief in those young people. Yeah, yeah. And that is yeah. the fundamental, um, right seed for all of this is we believe every single child is a genius, has genius within and is a hero who deserves to be on a hero's journey. And you carry that belief in every cell of your body and it comes out in everything you do. And it's that that makes the children feel free because they're like, oh, I'm respected and I'm trusted. That's it. I'm going for it. That's it. That's it. When we talk about, you know, John Taylor Gatto said genius as, is, is as common as dirt. And that's not a spite. That's a reality. Yeah. That's spite. That's the human, that is the default human condition, yeah. Yeah. you know, and that's a beautiful thing. That's something to be embraced. And, and you're right. I mean, as soon as we embrace it, as soon as the adults embrace it, the kids, oh wait, okay. Well, I think it's important though, because we, we all know this, that genius doesn't mean 180 IQ. Not everybody has right. 180 IQ. Right. You know, I'd like to be six feet tall and have a lot of hair. I don't. I just yeah. get along with what I got. <laughs> but, 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 but everybody's good at something. And yeah. so the goal is find out where you excel. That's where your genius is. That's mm -hmm. the, what the word really means. Yes. And then go play in that game. That's it. Uh, because it's a lot of fun to be good at something. Yes. What is your, what is your superpower? Yeah. What is your superpower? Find it and dig into that. I love that. So you come to the point of this journey. The first question that, that the heroes who respond to this have is, so along your way in this journey, who do you look up and consider heroes? Now, you know, I know you're like me. I look and go, okay, I have over a hundred heroes that I get to be with every single day. Um, I mean, those are my heroes day in, day out, especially my own children, my wife. And I mean, there's that, but along that journey, who are some of the people that helped kind of, you know, change whether it was a change of mindset or maybe just open you up to what you already knew, who do you look at and go, okay, these people really had an impact. One person who really um, changed my view of everything is Sugata Mitra, yeah. who um, did the hole in the wall experiment in the um, slums of India mm -hmm. and had, has such a radical belief in children learning on their own that when you're with him, you feel like you're with this wild, crazy, energetic, creative human. Yeah. And he's so exciting to listen to and he's so filled with joy and love, but he does radically different kinds of things. And so he, listening to him, watching, you know, at first just watching his TED talk yeah. and then getting to meet him and bringing him to our campus, it just really, um, I look to him all the time in my mind, like what would Sugata think of this? And it, it makes me feel more courageous because he has no fear when it comes to working with children and setting them free, where I think adults often feel very fearful, like I've got to control this, they need to be well behaved. What happens if something goes wrong and someone gets hurt? He just blows all that out of the roof and believes, oh, good things are going to come from this. So he's my hero. Yeah. What about you? Well, I'd say you know, one is Sal Khan just because it's it, – and not because he's created Khan Academy and serves 30 million students a week. I mean, that's all terrific. Yeah. Um, what I love about, about Sal Khan is when he, when he had gotten famous, and we knew him long before he you know, got famous, yeah. but when he walks into a studio with young people, he goes right past the adults and goes down and sits down among – 
the children. And that's what Sugata did too. You know, they want to be, because they really want to learn something. And I love Laura says often, you know, I'd rather be surprised than right. And you can see that in them. They don't want stature. They don't want prestige. They want to go in and be among the young people and be surprised and learn something. I, I think my other heroes were when I was at Harvard Business School, I had the, the, the great gift of having some of the best Socratic teachers in the world. And mm. even though there are 140 or so faculty at the Harvard Business School, you know, there's about 10 that are world class. I yeah. mean, you know, even among that group of world class. And so I had the great fortune to have um, Clayton Christensen, to yes. have Ben Shapiro, to have Bill Solomon. And to see them at their Socratic craft and to realize that, you know, we talk about walking in and the heroes are doing everything, but there is a process behind that, right? It's not a rubric we create. It's right. a series of choices we give them. But to see master Socratic teachers, you know, who've been doing it for 30 years and every time walked in like a martial arts master as a beginner, yeah, you know, and came in curious. So I, I really, they've been my heroes because they were masters at the Socratic craft. So good. And I love that you related to the martial arts. I mean, that's martial arts has been a part of myself growing up. Right. But um, I think everybody can relate to, to the concept of, of kind of that master and you're, you're always in search of, you know, that, that level of mastery. Well, and we, and we, we, when they, we would talk to one of them, they were always scared to death. The discussion wouldn't go well, right. Yeah. There are not many people in the room. But they also, to a person, said, I would never ask a question that I knew the answer to. So if I really thought I'd figured something out, I went on to something else. Mm -hmm. I only had discussions about things I was genuinely curious, and I didn't know, should we you know, open up the studios, or is it too early, and should we quarantine longer? So yeah. if I had an, he said, I'm sure about that. I'm not going to ask the question because it's no longer interesting. And that's why good questions are infinitely better than good answers. Yeah. Well, yeah. and kids can sniff out when you ask a question that you know the answer to For and sure. they immediately turn off and they don't trust you anymore. Right. <laughs> so right. to be a good Socratic guide, you have to be seriously, authentically yeah. curious and open with no agenda whatsoever. Yeah. That's hard. <laughs> That's very hard. Not only do you lose the trust, but then it also puts them back in that mindset of, okay, well, what is the answer that they're looking for so that I can just go ahead and give them that? Right. Well, and you know what, truthfully, there are times for experts and there are times we want to listen to a podcast with an expert on something yeah. and that's fine, but you might as well go ahead and just lecture to me and let's, mm -hmm. let's get it over with and right. be about it. Don't act like you're trying to be Socratic. Yeah. Either lecture or of course, much better to be Socratic, but let's not be passive aggressive and be fake about it yeah. and act like you really care. Let's not pretend those are the same thing. Right. Yeah. Right. No, really good. I love that. Uh, the second question is is around the concept of self confidence, uh, and you know I want to take it just more from kind of the journey of what you have seen being able to work with these young heroes forever. You know the question that that we got that we cultivated from the list was, you know, your specific journey or your specific habits that you've developed around maintaining self-confidence. I'd rather kind of take a look at it from the hero's perspective and you know, what is, what does that journey of confidence look like for a young person? What are the, the, what does that kind of transition or that, um, you know, transformation look like on the Acton campus? What I've seen and also in, within my own personal experience, I think true self-confidence comes on the other side of the journey of finally figuring out you don't have to be the best or the, you don't have to have the right answer all the time. Humility is, to me, the very beginning point of self-confidence. I think what happens as we start to get older, especially as young 
teenagers start feeling like they have to be right and do the right thing all the time, layers build up inside of us and suddenly you're hiding behind a facade and faking your self-confidence. Right. It's only when you start saying, oh, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Or teach me. I'm curious. The sense of curiosity and humility, then suddenly you, you have an inner sense of um, true self-confidence that you're valuable and you're a learner and it's, not, it's okay not to know everything. And you start to learn about yourself in a, in a true way. But that comes from at first saying, I don't know. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah and, I, and I think it also comes from courage that you, you, you get knocked down and you get back up. Right. So you don't have mm -hmm. to be right about it. And, and this whole thing about, you know, we say fail early, cheap, and often. Well, the, some people say, oh, that means failure is good. Failure is terrible, right? Nobody wants to fail. It hurts. If you try to blow it off like, oh, it's just a failure, it wasn't real. Failure hurts. It just happens to be necessary. And I think it goes to the identity of a hero, which is the opposite of a celebrity. You know, celebrities go after faux success and something that looks good but isn't real. It's really the problem of college these days. You know, I want a prestigious degree from Harvard or Princeton or Stanford, um, as opposed to I want to be competent. And so I, I think it comes back to the identity of a hero is you don't always win, but you do when you get knocked down, you get back up. And so I expect to be knocked down. I expect to have my nose bloody. I expect for it to be hard. That's not fun, but I'm the person who gets back up. And I think that's what we see. It's that, and that breeds self-confidence. And, and you're willing to, you expect the downs. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, I agree. And I also see as a parent where my flaws come in when I try to protect my children from going through a struggle or from experiencing stress because it's, it literally is only through stress that you become resilient because you have to break to rebuild that strength. And so often with parents, we try to take away those stresses when really what we need to do is acknowledge they're terrible, it's hard, I love you, I'm with you, and you're gonna get to the other side of this. So you walk with them through the hard times, but whatever we should do it's, is not to take those hard times away. I'm the worst at that. I mean, I literally, yeah. Jeff, has, <laughs> Jeff has to hold me back sometimes so I don't run in and fix things for our sons who are now teenagers. Right. But that, as parents, I think we have a big role in, in this building of self-confidence because it includes resilience, which is what yeah. getting back in the game is all about we so last this i love i love that we're talking about that last night my um my my middle child my daughter brielle she's seven and, and my girls just recently got their ears pierced it was the first time they'd ever you know gotten those and both of my girls uh, i love them to death they are not what you would call the uh, they're, they're not fans of any kind of physical discomfort right they'll take the mental anguish of a project and working with people they will take that any day of the week but they're the ones that if they fall down and scrape you know if they scrape their elbow they'll limp for 2 weeks right like it's, <laughs> it's that so so uh, last night Brielle wanted to change her wanted to change her earrings out but she hadn't done that yet and so it was and it was the fear of the pain she remembered what it was before and so she started to panic right and she started to cry and so i walked her I'm like, look, this is the opportunity. My wife's like, fine, then we're not going to change it. I'm like, no, 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 this is the best opportunity right now. Let's change it. Let's do this. Hey, remember last week when daddy did something dumb and I had hurt myself and, and I had swollen up my forearm to twice its size and I kind of walked her through this process. We're like, let's go. We, we got her fired up, got her motivated. And then once she did it, the joy, the pride, right? And I know that's a small scale. It's an irrelevant thing that she'll probably never remember. But the reality is she will remember the feeling of overcoming, coming out the other side. She was scared to do it, did it anyways, 
And it was that. And already this morning, I see her walking through, you know, with some of our other fellow heroes going, no, it's okay. You can push. She's already transferring that lesson to somebody else, you know, and it's that kind of stuff. We've got to not save them from that. Yeah, that's actually a great example. I hadn't thought about that in, I guess, about 30, 40 years. I, you just brought a, a poignant memory of my ear piercing ear days piercing. when I was so afraid to take it out the first time. And so she will not forget that moment with you. I have serious detailed memories of that moment in my life. And I hadn't thought about it till you just said that. I mean, you can just see the pride that came after that, you know, and it was just so, so, and then she was like, of course, oh, come on, Morgan, you know, talking to her older sister going, come on, let me walk you. This is so simple. Let me walk you through this. You can do Neither of you are convincing me to get my ear. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I thought you, I thought you and I could do it together next time we're out in Austin. So we'll, we'll think about it next time I'm out there. We'll, we'll see. I'm supposed to go out there in a couple months. So we'll see. Maybe we can do it together. Um, kind of shifting gears a little bit. One of the questions comes in around financial literacy and it's, it's always an interesting thing. You know, parents that are, are just figuring out what acting is, um, a lot of times here in our community, at least, you know, our business fair got a, a lot of uh, good press, good attendance. We had over a thousand people at our business fair last year and, um, you know, in a three hour period. And so it was great. So a lot of families will come and say, okay, talk about financial literacy. What is the curriculum? They like to use the C word. What is the curriculum you're, you're using to teach financial literacy? Because we think that's so important. So um, would you talk a little bit about how financial literacy is actually gained with what we do? Yeah, I, I think it's gained the same way real literacy is. Real mm-hmm. literacy is gained by reading books, starting with simple books you care a lot about. And so I'm really very anti the financial literacy um, movement as a as someone who's been an entrepreneur for a long time. It's like, well, you know, these young people don't know how to open a bank account and they don't know how to write. It's like, well, of course they do. They don't have any money. I mean, so if they go out and make money and spend money, they'll figure it out. So so you know, our boys have been adamant about the Children's Business Fair from the start. And as the founders, they said, the one thing we do not want is adults teaching anything because young people can learn it. So I think you learn financial, financial skills yeah. running a lemonade stand. In yeah. fact, I would argue even in your part of the world, a lot of the people running dot-coms could learn a lot from lemonade stands that actually make money yeah. and have cash flow. <laughs> don't go public immediately. Uh, so, so I just think financial literacy is learned one cup of lemonade at the time, at a time, one lawn mode at a time, um, hard work, cash. Um, yeah. Look, economics have gone on for a long time. We've got thousands of years of recorded civilization, and the you know the first writings were people keeping ledgers yeah. of economics, and so. Yeah. Human beings get economics, but they need to practice. They need to practice it. Yeah, you're right. And a good, and a good point too, especially out here, you know, we're not far from Silicon Valley and it's all, you know, there's this big movement towards raising money, raising money, raising money. And and that, that is the essence of the business. But there, there is, like you said, there's no cash flow. There is never, they're not in the black at all. It's just, what do you, can you raise more and more money? Learn to run the business. Well, a dear friend of mine, Stephen Tomlinson, said, you know, all creativity begins with constraint. And he says, a playwright, the playwright, I'm going to write, you know, the war and peace of plays. And it's going to let, he goes, it's only when I find out I have 90 minutes and $100 for sets and three actors that I, you know, that the genius happens. And I think that's true. You know, once you have the constraint of, I don't have money, I have to create value. And I think what you start to do is what you do with parents when they show up and say, look, I'm going to give you a constraint, a hurdle to get over. If this isn't right for you, that's fine. Come back when it is. Yeah. 
but I'm going to constrain to start out with a handful of families who believe and we'll build something to show people who will join. I think that's how all great movements start, how great businesses start, but it requires constraint and constraint means not a lot of cash. Not a lot of cash. Yep. Well said. I love it. Um, and just remind, we had uh, Jack Bonneau uh, on the podcast as well. And Jack um, has Jack's lemonade stand. So he has franchised out, you know, his lemonade stands. And I would first seen Jack, he was eight or nine uh, and he was on Shark Tank and went out there and, and pitched his, his franchise ideas and, and got himself a deal and a partnership with Chris Saka. And, um, and then I was lucky enough to, to keynote Project Lead the Ways uh, annual conference a few years ago, and Jack was closing, uh, and I'd gotten to meet him, and his address to to that group of three thousand educators was far more powerful than anything I could have uh, come up with. And uh, watching his journey has been amazing. We've had him uh, come in and connect with our heroes here, uh, right around business fair time, and um, he's a he's just a phenomenal young man. Um, and I don't even I didn't even really have anywhere that I wanted to go with that other than the fact that it was he had he had to learn by doing it and he had the constraint of something that he needed and his parents weren't going to give it to him so he had to figure out a way to get it done I love it. Well, it was just recently in our launch pad um, Jeff's Jeff gave the scenario so both parents have lost their jobs the only way your family can make money if you go out and get a job Mm. And the, and the idea excited them. Yeah. I think besides just the idea of, you know, six-year-olds having lemonade stands, you can, you know, and building businesses, I also think there's such value in just going out and working for someone. Get a job. Yeah. Literally get a job. The apprenticeship program at Acton, I think, is so valuable yeah. because there's something about having to work for someone that you learn so much, not just working for yourself all the time, right. but... Uh, having to pay taxes. I'll never forget how painful it was as a, as a six sure. when I got my paycheck and I was like, wait a minute, yes. <laughs> the yeah. government took this money out. And then you literally start learning from that moment on how yeah. significant the, you know, politics behind it all is. So th- there's so many layers to it, but I think getting a job is an important lesson. Yeah. Well, there's a, probably, as you all know, the apprenticeship program at Acton where you learn to go find your apprenticeship. We don't right. do anything to help. You right. have to yep. your you I, you know, it, it's amazing that our, our launch petters, our high schoolers, they, they have no fear of getting a job. I mean, they know how to do it. It's not, you know, you have to do hard work. There's yeah. things, steps to go through, but it's just amazing how they understand what it's like to go out. And so they're never worried about being able to find a way to use their gifts. That's and, exactly and it. Programs uh, giving it to us. That's exactly it. And we and we had that very experience this year. So we had three, uh, graduating seniors this year. And, and, um, one of our young heroes was going to be off to, was going to go off to college. And, you know, he had a, a couple of jobs while he was here and, and in the process of going through kind of the apprenticeship programs that he was, he got, he got offered a full-time job that's paying more than, than a lot of adults that I know. And so now he's going, okay, I'm going to go into this. He's the only, this is a nationwide organization that has never, it's got, I don't remember how many, it's over a thousand employees nationwide. They have never hired anybody without a college degree until him. Well, and I, and I think that's where the world's going. We had the same issue happen with Charlie and our, my goal for every launch pattern is they, they have to decide whether they're going to go to, if they want to go to college, whatever college, or they got a job at SpaceX. Right. And they they really got to wrestle and maybe they defer college for a year to see how SpaceX is going to work out. And if that works out, they defer another year. And either at the end of three years, they say, look, I got accepted into these colleges, but I was too busy at SpaceX to go. Yeah. Yeah. Or, 
you know, they knock out most of college online while they're at SpaceX, go for the last year to Palo Alto and graduate and they're done. So I, I'm really hopeful that we move to a, a world where college is a tool and an option bought as cheaply as possible only when needed. Yep. That's Not a default. Not a default to extend adolescence. And this gets, this gets back to a, a drumbeat that our eagles hear and play all the time. And it's get good at one thing, get good at one thing. What's the one thing you're going to get good at? So it's doing things and developing a skill through deliberate practice over a series of years that they get in the acting yeah. journey. Yeah. And then you walk into the world and you can do things right. and people will pay you to do those things. That's exactly right. You can always find a job. Well, and also more importantly, the better you get at something, the better opportunities you attract. Absolutely. And, the, and the more energized and excited people you're around. And so yep. you begin to go from, you said it, Matt, superpower mm -hmm. to understanding a domain or an industry and then playing in a culture I want to be in. When those three line up, yeah. The world gets very interesting and very fun. That's it. The opportunities are there, but the and the people are interesting. Yeah. You yeah. know, it's interesting people, interesting opportunities. Well, I tell people well, and I feel, we're going through difficult times, and I imagine people are very scared now. And who yeah. knows when the world, you know, every week seems to move 10 years. Yeah. But I have a feeling we're gonna look back, our children will look back 30 years from now. This will be the single best set of opportunities in the next two or three years people will see in a lifetime. I mean, so a lot of disruption. But yep. when you shake the box, the people who have gifts and want to use them and want to work in a great community rise to the top. And they're so I think this is actually the perfect time for our learners yeah. because they're good. Yeah. Take it. Yeah. Take advantage. This 2020 so far has been 50 years rolled up into six months and it's, yeah. it's you know, um, but it is, it's such an opportunity. So what do you think, what are your particular superpowers? If you were to look for each one of you and go, okay, this is my this is my gift. This is the thing that I double down, triple down on. What is that for for the two of you? Oh, um, mine is the ability to understand uh, systems and, and to, to, to see incentives, uh, to understand incentives and kind of an economic system or the way a tribe might work yeah. and how incentives and individuals work. And so, you know, I started out as an engineer and I was pretty good at modeling, but it's really the ability to see occasionally into the future because you understand human beings are pretty predictable. The world's not predictable. Human right. beings are very predictable. Very much and so. And if you see the incentives and you see the way something's, and you stand back and you don't listen to the common message. So I'm a real contrarian. Whenever times are good, I'm nervous. Whenever times are bad, I'm excited. Yep. And so the contrarian and being able to kind of see something complex and pick the simple out of it is really what I'm good at. I love that. What about you? Well, my my gifts probably fall into the communication realm, whether that's writing something or getting in a group of people and encouraging them and motivating them. Yeah, yeah. I find that I do my best work when I'm um, hoping to inspire people. Yeah. So that's usually through some form of communication. Yeah. Yeah, and you guys do a phenomenal job of that too. Well, I can do it with dogs also. I'm like the dog whisperer in my Are family. you a dog whisperer? Are you? <laughs> yeah, the worst dog in the whole world. Don't <laughs> she's, a, she's very good at lots of things. Dog training's not one of them. The proof is not in the pudding there. No? Okay. Say, I got like a 150 pound uh, animal that you can come train over here. Yeah, on. Yeah, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't. She's very good at many things. That's not one of them. Well, this is a point of marital discord. So let's is, change yeah. the subject. Oh, this, is what I, this is what I like. I was hoping to get here at some point, but yeah, no. Right, for sure. Yeah, this is there quicker than I thought. So that's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you talked about being contrarian and, and I've definitely uh, been 
labeled uh, in that regard in a number of different scenarios. I'm kind of like you. I tend to believe if the masses are all going one way, then then chances are the M is silent at that point, right? So um, that's, that's <laughs> I like that. I haven't heard that. Yeah, that's that's always kind of been that's always kind of been my mentality, and it, and it served me well in a lot of ways. Definitely got me in trouble in a lot of ways too. But one of the questions that's on here, and it's it's probably my favorite question, and the three of us could all go this way, obviously, in um, looking at the context of schools and education. But the question is, what is a piece of common knowledge? Something that everybody knows is true. But you go, yeah, but I fully disagree. I go the other way. And when I you know, talk to our guests on this, I usually will use the example of college and say, everybody knows you got to go to college to be successful. But I very much think it's the wrong choice for the majority of people. You know, so is there anything else outside of schools that kind of stands out for you? The one that stands out for me, and I kind of don't like to say it out loud because this, you know, people don't like this, but I don't yeah. like the self-help movement. I don't believe in self-help. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think it gets down to that, the humility thing, I think also, but I think it gives too much power to your own ego. I think mm, yeah. I rely on everything besides myself in order for myself to grow. So yeah. I get really contrarian when I'm around people who are, it's all about, oh, if you believe it, it will come, you know, or, you know, that kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. The self-help movement is one that I um, am contrarian to. So yeah. I yeah. know there's a lot of good in it and I get for that. Sure. But it's the label, I guess, I don't like because I don't think it's self. I think we need others and we need our higher power. And we're, you know, so that's mine. What about yeah. you? So, yeah. so I have several that probably wouldn't be interesting in the audience. But the one I heard today that struck me as interesting, it wasn't, wasn't my own, but a, a good friend of mine and former professor from HBS, Amar Bidet, said, you know, the current belief with the virus and the economic contraction is that everything's going online. You know, mm -hmm. that Amazon's going to dominate and we're going right. to and, and he made the interesting point that that trend's been going on a long time. Yeah. I mean, that trend's in that, that he believes the marginal economics of it have pretty well played out. And not that there won't be another slight wave, but that there are reasons many things aren't delivered online. And yeah. so he doesn't really buy that the belief of everything's going online is going to be true. And I just, that just caught me as interesting because I might have said that before I listened to him go through that. Look, there's, these are deeply embedded economic trends. And if it were easy to put online, it would have gone there. I will say, I think what's going to happen is learning is going to become much more experiential in real time in emergent communities. Mm. So you're going to find a way to take, you know, something like, like this. Yep. And it's not online. It's a device I'm going to use, like I might use a GPS to climb Mount Everest or a sat phone. Right. The device I'm going to learn to, to use to assemble a group and learn something hard in real time, more like Outward Bound or the Navy yeah. SEAL. So I, I think the idea that online learning is going to work, um, if online learning would work, you know, we would all have taken Betamax uh, courses, uh, correspondence courses with workbooks and Betamax. I mean, we've had correspondence courses forever. Yeah, absolutely. It's not about online. It's about rethinking it as a adventure in life and you're picking up tools along the way. So I think that's the other thing. The world's not going to go to online learning. It's going to go to a whole different form. And the fact that it uses Zoom or something is just another tool. Yeah. yeah. You've got to rethink the way it happens. And it's more, it's for me in real time on a hero's journey with a group I want to be with to learn something, not for you to teach me. Right. Oh, I love that. Great. I love that answer. Great answer. Um, 
there's only a couple more only a couple more questions because I want to make sure I'm respectful of of your time too. So we'd mentioned earlier um, kind of the concept of hard work, and and I think sometimes that can that can be uh, somewhat of an ambiguous sort of sort of concept, right? It's sort of this esoteric sort of thing that gets defined so many different ways. So the way that we've asked it on this show is for you in particular, if somebody wanted to come to work for you specifically wants to come to work for you. What is it that you want to see? What evidence do you want to see from that young person who maybe is just out of high school, maybe just out of college, whatever that looks like, um, but they're coming, they're saying, Jeff, Laura, I really want to come work for you. What do you want to see from them? What are the things you're looking for? The number one thing I look for is a curious spirit, inquisitive, curious, wanting to learn, chomping at the bit, instead of I've got what it takes, I've got the skills, I like an open book. I need that, you know, wanting, basically wanting to learn. I think I could work with just about anyone who is truly curious about other people and about themselves and about the work at hand. Plus it's a total blast to work with people who are curious and wanting to learn all the time. I love the teams we've worked with here on the act in the, this whole act and experience, the whole network of act and founders is the most amazing group of people because everyone's in that mindset. And I'm just on fire with the people that we get to be in touch with through this Acton journey. And the parents who are attracted to it are the best people I know on the face of the earth. So to be around curious people is what I look for. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think, I, I mean, I agree with that. And I also look for, um, when we go through this apprenticeship process, as you well know, because you use it, you know, the young people learn to find a gift. They learn to find a hero, someone they want to become like. They write this amazing email that says, just give me five minutes on the phone. Mm-hmm. to explain. So they're not asking for the job. They're asking to explain. And then they say, well, can I come talk to you in person? Yep. And then, you know, if it syncs up and it seems to be working, they say the following, look, will you give me a chance? One day yep. I'll show up early. I'll work late. I'll do whatever you ask. I'll mop floors because I want to be here. I want to be here because of you, because of the mission, whatever it takes, coach, just put me in for a day. Let me prove myself. And so I think that dedication to mission and that clarity on why you're here, if you're coming to work for us or someone else, yeah. and the willingness to say, look, if I got to go pick up your dry cleaning, which I would never ask anybody to do, I'm not sure people do dry cleaning anymore, but anyway. Yes, they do, okay, because I pick you. it up. Okay. So, but, but, you know, but just like, look, I'll scrub toilets, I'll, yeah. I mean, I, I, whatever it takes, I'll show up early, I'll be the last person to leave, just put me in, give me yeah. a chance. Yeah. That's what you're looking for. It's the opposite of the victim mentality or the entitlement mentality. Yep. yep. And that's what I look for. I love that. As a high, as somebody else who who hires a hundred times out of a hundred, I would go to that person rather than I. I have no desire to sit and sift through resumes, anyways. Right. I don't have the, time, <laughs> the desire to then you know arbitrarily start going. Okay, what's where did they go? What kind of font is this? Like you start just making these random. Yeah. Nobody has the desire for that. You have that young person that comes in with that kind of mentality. Let's go. Yeah. I mean, ready to go. And I love what you said too, about the curiosities. It's, you know, uh, three, three, four weeks ago, um, you know, got on with some of our mutual heroes with, with Jake and VJ and Anna and, 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 uh, the Rofers and, you know, we got on and, and we're all looking at each other and we just all kind of went, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what to do. I don't know. And, and what do you think? I don't know. And it was just, but we had a great time starting from none of us have a clue. What do we yeah. think? Let's just kind of figure it out. You know, I don't know. And it is, and it does, it extrapolates throughout. It goes through the entire community 
um, you know, some of the best, some of the best times on campus are having those conversations with the heroes. And then just this last week, we have those conversations with the heroes. And then we have conversations like that with the parents afterwards. And then they go away. And then all of the guides, you know, we're just, we're just standing there talking to each other about something that's not related to anything else that we've been doing, but we're all just so vastly curious about and go, what a year, what are your kind of, what are your thoughts on this? And what are your thoughts on that? And this is so interesting. And we're just all so clueless. And, and then the next thing you know, you know, my daughter's coming up and tugging going, Hey, it's dinner time. We haven't left yet because you're in with all of these other people, you know, and that's just, that's the beauty of this community. It's all of this curiosity. It, it, remind, it reminds me of the paradox. I like, I like, but the, I don't ever like the idea of a school for the gifted because it assumes that, you know, not, but, but anyway, so I never liked that term. Yeah. I told somebody, they said, were you a school for the gifted? And I said, yes, we are. <laughs> And we'll accept anyone that applies. And if you can, if you can square that, you know, those two, then you, then you belong here. That's right. And the idea of like, look, everybody gets a chance. Yeah. We believe you're great. Not everybody gets to stay, yep. but you can come back, right? Yep. You can always come back. But if you want to belong to a tribe, the tribe has to have high standards and boundaries. That's right. And once you get that kind of magic working, like you're talking about, yeah. people know why they're there. Yeah. They know what's expected. And they're having fun. There's just not a better place on earth than to be with, really with those kind of people. But sure. but you have to be, you know, you have to draw the lines. I mean, and, and look, you can't stay if you're not going to do this. You can come back. There's always grace. Right. And but you can't stay. That's it. And that's always the hardest part, right? It's a school for anybody, but it's definitely not for everybody. And that's always the and that's always the hardest part is having to draw those lines. Um, but again, given the power over the heroes, they'll they'll draw the lines and, oh, and yeah. sometimes way harder. And seemingly a whole lot easier on their own, you know. So um, I'm glad to hand the reins over to them to do it. So you know, Absolutely. so good. So a final piece of a final piece of wisdom. And so the way we kind of put it is: is if you've got your mantra, maybe this is what goes on your headstone, and it can be something that's a final sentence that either comes from from you. Or if it's one that you kind of look to as a favorite quote, a favorite saying, whatever that is, that you want to kind of leave the legacy. If nobody remembers anything else I said, I hope they remember this. What would that look like for you? Well, mine's easy and I'm going to bore you with this, but it's just the two words. It's be curious. Kind of end a story for me. Nothing boring about it. That opens the box for everything. I love it. Yeah, I was I was I was listening to, to Jimmy Buffett to to a, an interview he did with Rolling Stones. It's online. It's terrific. It's Buffett telling his hero story. I was just listening to it a, a few minutes ago, right before okay. we started. And uh, he tells the story of going on and doing a show where he was um, hungover. Uh-huh. And at the end, he said, "My my my fans didn't know that I didn't you know that I mailed it in, but I knew, and yeah. I decided I was never going to do that again." And yep. so when everyone else started drinking and having more drug problems and everything, I, I never, you know, I don't do that anymore because I'm a pro. And he, but then he said the thing that stuck me, he goes, and the reason I did it was my family expected more of me. I didn't want to shame them. Mm. And I thought, now that's fascinating that he would, you know, that he would say, I, he's my family, he was my parents. I worked hard. They worked hard for me. They expected more of me and I wasn't going to shame them by mailing it in. And so for me, I remember being raised um, uh, walking on campus where my great grandfather had been uh, president of a small university and he was buried on campus. And on his tombstone on one side, it says, if you would see his monument, look around you. 
because he loved the campus, he loved the students, he loved the people, and you know, he had been, he had done something that was meaningful and mattered. But then on the other side was Proverbs 22.1, a good name is rather to be had than great riches. Mm. And, and I take that not meaning it to be like a fancy name or a prestigious name. You know, it means to have done the right thing, to have fallen, to have admitted and gotten back up. But you know, that, that, that idea, and struggling with Buffett said that about, I don't want to show, I want to be thought of as I became who I was supposed to be with all my flaws. Yep. And that, that to me is what a good name is. So a good name is rather to be had than great riches. I love people. that. I love that. It's the legacy. Matt, can I tell you a little secret that I've never shared about Acton Academy? Please. It would not exist if it weren't for Jimmy Buffett. <laughs> Nobody cares about this. Just so <laughs> you know. Yeah. Because our first date was a kind of a blind date. He asked yeah. me to go to a Jimmy Buffett concert. I didn't even know him. And I said, yes. And the rest is history. Well, it, it, <laughs> wow. We, we, we can end with this, which will be really revelatory. And that is that um, it was the night before the concert and I had two front row tickets and no date, which in all fairness should have been a very big red flag. So she, she's gotten stuck with me from now on because she didn't realize that that was a red flag. You got duped right from the beginning. Yeah, you know, she, she, I, I lured her right in. It worked, worked perfectly. Well, I don't know if I've ever been more thankful for Jimmy Buffett. <laughs> but I can, I can yeah I can definitely say that I am and I and I love that I love that that ending story too and and um you know Gary Vaynerchuk says I want I just want the most people at my funeral right? I just want the most people at my funeral I just want because I've made that much of an impact for that many people you know and yeah there's no better that's great oh great so well I'm extremely thankful for Jimmy Buffett uh even more thankful for for the two of you uh, you know, thank you for, for everything you've done for this entire network, for what you continue to do for the families that you guys are serving. And, um, you know, it's definitely an honor, not just to have you on, but to just be, uh, you know, in the same, in the same universe as you and get to call you guys friends. It's, it's a big honor for me. So well, the feelings mutual. I can promise you that. Absolutely. We love you, Matt. Thank you so love much. You, Thanks, man. Back, man. Thank you. Two of my favorite people on the planet right there. So I hope you enjoyed the episode. Hope you got to uh, enjoy hearing a little more insight from them and getting a, a sneak peek into just the amazing personalities that they have. And, and they epitomize that warm-hearted, tough-minded, um, just just all-around amazing people. They are, they are the spirit of what we are doing, uh, and I'm honored to call them friends. So hope you enjoyed the episode as much as I enjoyed talking with them, and we will look forward to connecting with you guys next time.